In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello, welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And this series is in cooperation with Cinda Virtual, which brings you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. Now, you can learn more about Cinda under www.cinda.org. Now, we don't only bring you thought leaders from all over the world. We have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to the series, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition, the connected world is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, digital transitions, and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance and business values and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. So listen to us live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. And if If you miss us live, don't worry because we're on every major podcast platform from Apple to Google to Stitcher to Spotify. Just put in Leadership Beyond Borders and you'll find us on the web. I also invite you to connect with me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or go to the website leadershipbeyondborders.net and let me know what you want to hear about on this show. So if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we'll make sure you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. Now on to today's episode. You know, we we have a lot of leaders listening and we as leaders are always starved for data. We want facts, we want analysis, we want research and we're given it and we're surrounded by it. But sometimes when we get, we really don't know what to do with it. And, and why is that? Because even though we're starved with data, we also drown in it today. Sometimes we cannot tell the difference between valuable data and data waste. As leaders, we often do not know how to set up our organizations to ensure they focus on valuable data. And when we finally get valuable data, we have to figure out what we want to do with it and how it can contribute to our business growth. And in this episode, we speak with a data expert and we discuss why data is valuable and how to set up a data literate organization and use that data to make real change. Our guest today is Sangeeta Krishnan, an engaging business intelligence and analytics leader in a winning blend of subject matter expertise and practical experience from various injuries and expert in data. She is the author of Thriving in Data World, uh, available on Amazon, and most recently she joined Bayer as North American Analyst Lead for Mass Sales. She has worked with Fortune 500 organizations, nonprofits, and everything in between, helping organizations build their operations and monetizing data projects from ground up. Sangeeta is a public speaker, content creator, having articles published in industry's journals and was recognized as a finalist of the Women in IT Awards 2018 in the United States and in the Data Leader of the Year category. So Sangeeta, welcome to the show. Hi Kimberly, happy to be here. (laughs) Okay. And thanks for the nice introduction. (laughs) Okay, great. No, I mean, um, you know, first, there's a ton of compliments being one of the top women in this field. Um, thank you for paving the way for for all the women coming up in, um, in IT. And uh, talk about your bu- book a little bit, you know, Thriving in a Data World. What made you write that book? Okay, um, so a couple of things. Like when you think about like a data book, to most people it is more like a coding book or like a really technical book, which is there. There are a lot of like YouTube videos you can watch. There is lots and lots of resources. So that's all good. When you want to upgrade your technical knowledge, that's fine. So I kind of felt there is a gap. Like what you can do with data from a technical standpoint is all good. But for an enterprise to really get the benefit, there are other components of data, like data storytelling, how a visualization should be, how to bring up the data literacy curve of your organization 
And as simple as what are the team members I need, where should I start, and how do I really assess the ROI? So those are the things which I felt like most of the data books don't cover. So I found that that's a gap which people constantly struggle. And having mentored uh, several people in my career where who start off with like uh, much more junior uh, people as well who are who kind of have the technical knowledge, but when it comes to really an implementation in a real world situation, they kind of struggle. So my book, um, the reason for writing is to cater to two kinds of audience. One is either you're very, very new in your career in the data field, and you want to really grasp like, what is that I need to know from, so it's a tool agnostic book to begin with, or you're more on a data management or a leader or director or above, but who is still trying to figure out like, okay, um, what are all the components I need? So the book serves as a reference guide for these two sets of audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think I think the data management is really interesting audience because, I mean, we as leaders sometimes we're, we're, there are so many leaders even in technical companies are not technical people and they get there for other reasons and then they're trying to decide well how do I deal with this massive amount of data we have, so what do you think what do you think the most challenging thing you see today, is for leaders when working in the data world. Um, oh, there are a lot of things. I will speak <laughs> at least because if I talk, that will be a segment by itself. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, but I'm going to pick a couple of them. Uh, one of the challenges is there is no scarcity, which is something you highlighted as well. There is not a scarcity of data for the most part. The problem is actually quite the opposite. Okay, I have all these tons of data, but what is a use case I can build? Because what happens is, you I mean, there are a lot of ideas in an organization, but we cannot invest the time, money, and the resources to build every single use case, right? So that mm-hmm. assessing, like, what is something I should build now? What is something that can wait? So the ROI part is a tough bet because, I mean, it's just not like a ROI in terms of dollars, right? It's sometimes, do I want to stay ahead of my competition? Should I still invest in this use case just because I want to be the first to implement that before anybody else does? So there are a lot of things to consider. So I would say one of my top picks is picking the right use cases to put your resources because there is not unlimited resources any company or of technical talent they are sitting with. So it's very, very important to pick and choose the right ones, which can be, I mean, whatever your goal is, it's sometimes operational, sometimes monetization, sometimes a different product to serve to a different user base, sometimes improving the customer journey, whatever that is, Picking that right set of use cases your team needs to build is one of the uh, tough challenges many people face, and not everybody is uh, investing in the right places sometimes. So that's one. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing I would pick, uh, there are two more things I'm going to pick. Uh, the second thing is obviously the changing rules of privacy. So when you're mm-hmm. building a solution, it's not just whether it's technically feasible. It's also uh, my data is not full of bias. Am I not... Uh, crossing the line, depending on the industry Mm -hmm. where I shouldn't be building something. So that mindset of overall um, leaders is very important to really um, lead it, lead the organization in the right way, right? And the third one I'm going to pick is um, data literacy, which is very close to my heart because Um, it's not just the working population uh, was not trained, like a financial literacy, right? I mean, you need to not just earn money, you need to even have a plan with it. Otherwise, you will not get anywhere. I would compare it similar. Uh, Most of working population did not really have a very basic, like an elementary school kind of, or a middle school kind of education in data. It all happened later in their career. So kind of understanding that, that, being, uh, I want to be insights-driven as an organization or a data-driven is a good motto, but it's like to get there is not as easy. I mean, investing in technology is fine, but 
the culture aspect, the mindset, the people aspect is something very, very critical. And many organizations are uh, struggling with that. So those are my three picks. I, I really like the, the analogy of financial literacy to data literacy, because you're right. I mean, we all kind of, you know, if we go into business, you think, okay, you have to have some kind of financial literacy, but then data literacy kind of takes a back seat. And um, I want to drill into those three things after the break. But first, I have a question for you that you say something in your book and um, a great book and you said um, you talk about the lies around data okay Um, so we have these three areas which you think are the biggest challenges which we're going to explore a little bit deeper and then you talk about the lies what are some of the lies around data um, so I, from, for the listeners, I'm not sure how many of you have read, like how to lie with uh, statistics. That's a very, very old book, but it's still very relevant in today's day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when I say lies with data, I, in my book, I definitely detail about the kinds of lies too, right? Because, um, it's also like, sometimes it's not even intentional because it's just like somebody who is building a dashboard didn't really know to do it in any other way. So it looks like it's a lie, but it's not intentional. And sometimes it is intentional. I'm tweaking the numbers so that um, I get the answer I'm looking at. (laughs) So which happens. um, But so those are the areas I'm talking in my book, like, and it goes on and on about many different aspects. There are are a bunch of lies um, around the topic of also like, you know, I cannot build anything because I have no data. Because for many people, uh, depending on where you are in your journey, sometimes the use case you're trying to build, which is of the most value to your business, the data may not exist. So in that case, the first step is stop telling the lie that, oh, I cannot do anything. It's like more than that. You have to go and collect the data as well. Um, so all these lies matter because what I'm going from a different angle too, because when you present, let's say you have a visualization, right? You present it to an audience it's also that awareness is very important to ask the right questions. Otherwise, you're looking at something and you're saying, okay, I'm going to believe it because I don't know to ask any other questions. I don't know what I don't know. So that is what I'm trying to break in my uh, book, to break it down to a level where people um, kind of start thinking in that way. Like when somebody is showing you a data, just don't take it. Like there should be an analysis mindset where you're questioning, what is the source of my data? Do I know? Because sometimes if the source itself cannot be trusted, I mean, it doesn't matter what kind of insight you're bringing in because it's of no good because the data in question is, first of all, I don't know the source or I know the source, but I cannot trust it. So trusted data is very important. Otherwise, you are walking away with a lot of data lies. Mm-hmm. And that kind of that kind of comes to um, also, you know, people... I mean, it's almost like when you're presenting visuals and data sometimes. Do you think people are sometimes they're they're afraid to ask questions? Have you, um, you know, I've done presentations or been in presentations where where nobody uh, nobody kind of asks where the source is or where it is. Do you see that quite often, or is that does that not happen that often? Um, I have seen, actually, I can totally relate to what you said, because (laughs) I think uh, even the word like data literacy, right? I mean, financial literacy, somehow we feel like, okay, that's fine. Because for many people, that uh, embarrassment, I I would say, because in front of a lot of audience, Mm. it's most of the times it's like, oh, should I ask this? It would make me look like I didn't even follow along. So for the fear of that, uh, that is, uh, I have actually written a lot about it in one of my <laughs> chapters uh, where I talk about like how to make people comfortable. It's not, so I would say one of the suggestions is like when you're doing a data presentation, no matter who your audience are, I mean, obviously the presentation has to be catered to your audience. That many times doesn't happen. That's one of the mm-hmm. reasons why people don't ask questions because when you ask somebody to present data, wh- 
immediately they don't even ask like okay who am i presenting to what is the knowledge of the audience level that's not most of the time put much thought into rather it is more like okay let me just build something and presents everybody will follow that shouldn't be the case um there should be like a 30 second rule or something so when you kick off your presentation it is very very important that you kind of say the basis right like you know these are my definitions this is how i have this is the data about set some context and then only you should and make it very clear this is the context and these are any question is fine so you kind of bring them along mm-hmm. i i mean that's super because i've seen and and the, us as leaders sometimes we we kind of delegate presentations and then we don't t- clearly tell you know the person who's going to present with the audiences and you might be presenting a board who has like nobody technical and doesn't understand it so you really have to go basic to you know wh- uh, what the story is and we're going to come to that um i i really liked that 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 hint um sangeeta so we're going to take a short break and when we come back i want to talk i want to go into the three areas and i i kind of want to talk about goals and resources and organization first and for our listeners today we're talking to sangeeta krishnan and she's engaging business intelligence analytics leader who possesses a winning blend of subject matter expertise and practical experience um in data and she's the author of thriving in a data world available on amazon and she recently joined buyer as north america can analyst lead for mass sales and uh, you can reach out to her on linkedin she's under sangeeta krishnan and it's k r i s h n a n and so please reach out to her on linkedin and this broadcast is also brought to you by cinda and cinda is one of europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local service associations they hold virtual pieces of training conferences do market research um they work a lot with legislative white papers on data in europe and if you'd like to learn more about cinda please go to www.cinda.org and with that we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K. on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Are you a business owner, 1099 contractor, part-time employee, or volunteer who needs group health coverage you can actually afford? Do you know a nonprofit who would benefit from unlimited zero-cost funding? How about cost reduction, school safety, mental health wellness, and more? All these and more are fair game on finding certainty. If you want more certainty in your own life, you are not alone. Join us each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Find your own brand of certainty and realize your personal American dream with Finding Certainty, hosted by Patrick Lang. Let's unwrap the certainty experience together. If you're looking to grow your money safely, reduce taxes and market risk, enhance returns on investments, reduce cost of borrowing, and safely create positive arbitrage, look no further than your personal bank. Your personal bank, hosted by Ference Tauth, is a financial concept that strategically integrates financial tools from the banking and insurance industries to continue growth on funds even when you access them for other purposes. Your personal bank, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to leadership beyond borders do you have a question or comment about our show please send an email to leadership beyond borders at gmail.com again that's leadership beyond borders at gmail.com now back to this week's program welcome back to leadership beyond borders i'm kimberly lewis and we are talking about data today and um we're talking with an expert sangeeta krishnan and she is an engaging business intelligence 
leader, and she's also the author of Thriving in a Data World. And this book is a great book. It brings uh, leaders some practical hands-on explanations and experience about kind of setting up organizations, dealing with data, and, um, you know, getting ROI on their data. So I recommend it. It is on Amazon. And so before before we the break, um, Sangeeta, we, I, I really loved what you said about the presentations and audience um, because I've sat there before where I've seen presentations way too detailed for an audience or I've seen audiences not asking questions, which, which brings me to come back to the three things that you talked about. And you talked about you know, three of the big challenges. One is resources. And I want to talk about organizations um, because you know, if you're a leader going into organizations, there's so many ways to, to set up um, data literacy in the organization as far as structures are concerned. I mean, um, you can put them with software development, central data, embedded data teams, crowdsourcing. I mean, how, how as a leader do you even begin to, to set your organization up to, to meet your end goal? And how do you divide that end goal? Um, I'm going to um, take it from the approach of the size of the organization too, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because sometimes what happens is uh, some people feel like uh, day one, they have to have many of these roles, right? Like I have, because with all this buzz around AI and chat GPT and everybody's yes. talking about it. <laughs> so everybody thinks I have to have a ML engineer or a AI person in the team, but just because then only I can be cutting edge whatever, right? Which is good. Um, But at the same time, I'm going to say that I have dedicated one chapter writing about like different kind of structures. And there is no one perfect structure I can say that every company can do, right? Because that's not how it is. So it is a matter of taking one step back and rather assessing because hiring a data, I mean, an AI engineer or AI person is not going to help if your data quality itself is in question because you're not even there. So, So those are the fundamental things people need to ask, like from a staffing perspective too. There is no point hiring everyone, but at the same time, kind of pick and choose. Like, but um, because one of the things I would say is like, what is of priority is a question every business should ask. Because if my priority is to make sure that everybody in my, it's like some, there is a lot of talk around self-service analytics also as an organization. If that is my first to do, um, there is, that is the first uh, thing I have to hire would be like a data analyst, a data engineer, even before worrying about an AI person. But at the other side, if forecasting, and those are my key areas I want to tackle before anything else, I would think differently. So so that answering the question, and sometimes it's a bit of both or a bit of a couple of things. You have to still have some prioritization. It's a bit of couple of things, but I still need to kind of assess, like, what are my top three for the next two quarters? If I know that answer, then I could. And sometimes it's not even like uh, we are hiring every uh, person, right? Sometimes it's also upskilling because it's not like the business knowledge is still there with software engineers, with so many people already, even if you're starting off completely new in your data journey, you could also upskill some of the resources you have. It's not always about forming a brand new team. Uh, So all those things matter. Um, And also um, I talk in my book about like when it is embedded, like meaning blended with software engineering team, software development team, that could be a model. If it's a very, very small company, there is not that much of use case with data. We're just doing something on the side. And also I talk about like a central data function. What are the key benefits of it? I also talk about like a center of excellence, right? Which is kind of monitoring, but there is still like with the business functional area, there is some teams with the functional area because the the knowledge of the business itself resides in the functional area. So instead of having one lean uh, data team or one central data team, there are advantages of having it embedded in every functional area. So I talk about a lot of variations and I do have 
pretty much after talking about every section, I do say what are the advantages of doing this and what are the disadvantages of doing it? So to answer your question, it is more like assessing, first of all, what are my top priorities and also assessing like which model will work better for my scenario, which is what the book talks about, like what are the pluses and minuses across different models. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and once you, you know, so you assess what your priorities are and, and you, you yeah, I mean, I've looked, I've read the book, you have some great examples of, of, you know, the different organizational models and also some great examples of the different definitions of what a, a data engineer is, a data analysis, a, a analyst is, a visual engineer. Um, so I have, I have these experts kind of set up, but I still have a big organization, okay? And one of the things we talked about is um, data literacy. So how do you get this data literacy into the rest of the organization? So, for example, you know, you might be doing some marketing and, and analyzing some data and have a data analysis person in marketing to, to see customer um, profile trends or whatever, but then you have your marketing people who may not be that data literate. So how do you expand data, data literacy to the rest of the organization? Um, I would say that uh, to me, data literacy is always a top-down. What I mean by that, it cannot be a technical a team pushing for data literacy. It mm-hmm. simply doesn't work. So there has to be a leadership buy-in from the top-down model where there is a conscious decision made that, hey, we want to become a data literate organization, a data insights driven. So we have to really scale up our uh, methods here. So, But for doing that, it's easier said than done. I mean, uh, for anybody who knows the saying, uh, it's like um, cultural change is one of the toughest, right? A culture Mm. eats strategy for breakfast is the (laughs) saying, because it's very easily said, like, oh, let's become data-driven, but it doesn't work like that. So I'm going to say that um, you have to kind of start with the teams which which are more easy to implement. The reason I Mm -hmm. said that is because If somebody is kind of in the middle, maybe that could be your small win and celebrate those small wins because pick a team which is kind of ready to experiment and ready to become more data literate. That could be your win. Kind of you can make somebody else jealous, right? That always works. Like, look, with this team now, they are more literate. They have more access to things. They are able to function as a business unit way better is a story you would want to tell. So that's why I said celebrate small wins. So pick that one team or two teams. Don't scale it at that level. That's another thing many uh, times that goes wrong is like, oh, we have to scale it at a central level. Like everybody, every team has to become. That quite doesn't work. Rather pick those hand-picked couple of teams. And also when you're do, making a team data literate as a conscious decision, have a very blended team because if you have like five people as your kind of a demo team to really experiment this, if all those five people are like a data analyst, we're kind of at least somewhat data savvy already, right? I mean, depending, data analyst is a, some in some companies, data analyst is not even a very technical role. They don't even code, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's all varying. But my point is, if you pick a team which is full of similar people instead of any diverse group, it will be not a right measure of your success too. So pick somebody from different departments and form your some kind of a test team and try to make like uh, the use case for that, like pick a data set which they can relate to. That's another thing. You don't want to mm-hmm. pick a data set which is like so simple or so not relatable. Pick it from their business problems. Pick a data set and then make them aware like and also one thing i always think about it is um instead of really jumping ahead and saying let's become data literate people should start with the fundamentals what i mean by fundamentals is show a presentation a visual right if you are showing some charts and people have a hard time even understanding what you're telling in that you have a different level of problem right rather than self-service. So I would think like the same way we think in terms of language, everybody doesn't master the language the same way. Some people, the proficiency of a language is different for different people. Somebody may know enough to speak, somebody may want to write, somebody may want to write like 
a literature kind of writing, which is very different. So it's the same with data. So you have to also understand like the needs of the team. Not everybody in the organization needs to be data literate at the same proficiency. Somebody may be happy enough and that may be enough that they can read what is presented. Somebody wants to be this in-between where they have like a thorough business knowledge, but they still want to develop something. So the literacy program has to cater to the needs and should be customized in that way. Mm-hmm. Super answer. And w- when you were saying that, um, I-, I was thinking about another question because it- it's-, it's getting the literacy within your organization and your company. But a lot of times, we who are used to working with data is getting the literacy to our boards. Now I sit in Germany, the average age of the boards is in the sixties. Okay. in German companies. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I mean, that that's a tough nut to, to crack sometimes um, on educating the boards with data, with people who may not be used to working with so much data as we have today that they didn't have 20 years ago. Um, and I think you hit it on the head by saying that, you know, look at their needs. Um, is is that how would you suggest best to communicate with boards? Um, totally, because I w- that's why uh, I was in my book also I covered this topic because what happens is like sometimes people fe- feel overwhelmed, like the example you mentioned, right? Uh, whether it's age, background, there can be a lot of factors uh, which are very unique to an organization and everybody's knowledge is different. So that is why celebrating small wins is so important because the proficiency level you want to set for a group is different. Not everybody Mm -hmm. will want to be, like everybody doesn't want to do the same things with data. And also I see data literacy even in terms of personal life, right? Because look at the cars we are driving now. They collect a lot of data as well. (laughs) I mean, there is data impact on our personal (laughs) life too. Whether we like it or not, it's there. So that is why if you're handling a crowd which uh, was more like, comfortable without data. So it's sometimes level setting that expectation rather than going in with a mindset, hey, now this is the way to work and this is what you have to do. That doesn't work. It's also Mm -hmm. kind of acknowledging that from where they are coming from and take smaller steps in that case. So that acknowledgement sometimes gets missed in the in whatever we're doing. We don't (laughs) acknowledge that, okay, I see your point why you're struggling with that. And this is how I'm going to have your training program slightly different from this other group, which anyway is way ahead and which anyway wants to get something else out of data, right? Mm -hmm. So needs are different. So that's why the word need for me is very important when setting up these programs, because I always think of it in terms of language, right? Because, I mean, if you're going as a tourist to a different country, my needs of language is not somebody, I'm not going to start writing books in that language. Rather, when I'm doing tourism, I should at least be able to communicate to the people, right? It's the same with data. Some people just need to have enough to understand what is presented to them. They're never going to build something in that. Yeah, perfect answer. Um, We're going to take another break. And and when we get back, um, I want to touch on the last two things you talked about on on how we as leaders get uh, ROI from our data, okay, Um, and and understand what's the valuable data and what's maybe kind of the not valuable data, and then touch just quickly on the um, changing rules of privacy. Um, You know, I sit in Europe, so GDPR was kind of the beginning. Now we have a lot more legislation going on. How do leaders keep up with these changes and why it is important to keep up with those changes? So our listeners, we are talking with Sangeeta Krishnan, and she is the author of Thriving in a Data World. It is a a great book made for leaders and um, also for new career entries. Uh, It kind of helps us put this entire data world that we live in 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 perspective, Uh, and it's available on Amazon. And she is also a public speaker, content creator, having articles published in industry journals and was recognized as a finalist of the Women in IT Awards in 2018 in the United States and a data leader uh, uh, in the data leader of the year category. Now, if you'd like to reach out to Sangeeta, you can reach out to her on LinkedIn under Sangeeta Krishnan, and that's K-R-I-S-H-N-A-N. 
and she looked forward to hearing from you. And this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda, and Cinda is one of Europe's fastest-growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. They hold virtual trainings, conferences, do market research, and a lot of work on legislative white papers on digital and data. And they also have an online learning series on Thursdays at 1700. And they hold conferences. And their next conferences is in Porto, Portugal, October 22nd to 23rd. They also have a great e-learning platform for founders and entrepreneurs that take founders and entrepreneurs from idea to exit. And that is free for all founders and entrepreneurs. So please go to www.cinda.org and check that out and under Cinda for Startups. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Everyone deserves the opportunity to have access to the knowledge to make their own choices when it comes to where their money goes. Listening to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter will give you that access. Investing isn't just for the wealthy. Making More Money for You, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you're looking to grow your money safely, reduce taxes and market risk, enhance returns on investments, reduce cost of borrowing, and safely create positive arbitrage, look no further than your personal bank. Your personal bank, hosted by Ferenc Tauf, is a financial concept that strategically integrates financial tools from the banking and insurance industries to continue growth on funds even when you access them for other purposes. Your personal bank. Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And uh, today we're talking about data. I mean, we live in a data world today and, um, you know, that we're surrounded by data. Uh, and we're talking with an expert in this area. We're talking with Sangeeta Krishnan, and she is the author of Thriving in a Data World, a great book for leaders and for new career people. Uh, it's available on Amazon. And she's also a public speaker, content creator, having articles published in industry journals. And she was also recognized as the finalist of Women in IT Awards in 2018 in the United States in the Data Leader of the Year category. Um, so, Sangeeta, I mean, great insights on setting up organizations, you know, um, uh, you know, how to communicate to different people at different levels. Um, but it all comes back down to the data. OK, we have so much data out there. OK, there's probably good data. There's bad data. How do I as a leader um, get my ROI from my data? You know, how, you know, how do I, you know. Sometimes I just kind of sit there and I don't even know where to start. I, some of it's good, but how can I ensure that I move myself forward and I get good data and I get an ROI from it? Sure. Um, so I have like an entire chapter talking about ROI just for that reason, because ROI is not a topic I have noticed like most of the books cover. I mean, technical, not technical, it doesn't matter. It's not a topic really elaborated. The reason is because it's I think it is very subjective sometimes uh, because ROI for an organization is depending on whether it's a tangible, it's not intangible uh, ROI. So there are all kinds of ROI you can measure. Um, so my book obviously talks in detail about different types of ROI, what are the KPIs that's needed, and also what I would like to say that um, before even jumping into calculating ROI, many times it happens, right? When we are starting off with a project, um, 
everybody knows we have to do that. But when you ask, what does success look to you? What is that you want to achieve by doing this project? That itself, that metrics you are going to measure, it's kind of missing from the equation because everybody kind of wants this to happen now. But when it comes to quantifying that or saying that is missing. So you cannot calculate ROI even if that answer itself is missing. So I would start with what does success look to you? When we are done, what are we trying to achieve? If you know those answers, then only you can uh, calculate ROI. And there are different uh, methods of calculating ROI. So this is uh, beyond the scope of the book in terms of like the financial calculations. Mm -hmm. There are different methods, but it definitely, the book talks from the angle of how you would prepare yourself to say that, this project I'm looking for, these are my tangible metrics. And sometimes uh, tangible is definitely more easier. Let's say you're building a website, right? If you want more user traffic to it, that's a quantifiable number. It's very easy to say that, okay, last week it was this many people, this week it's this many people. But if my main reason for building this application is getting more user engagement, people are more satisfied with it, that's more tough to measure because the sentiment part is not as easy as a number, right? So so those are the things the book talks and it has several examples throughout the chapter to sh say that how it would um, evolve when you're doing a project, what are the kind of metrics for this kind of a project you should. So that definitely, I enjoyed writing that chapter because I have really seen that in, in my entire career where I have seen like this is an area most people struggle because ROI is not always like financial as I've been mentioning in mm. previous statements too because sometimes it's also opportunity. You're paying for the opportunity, right? So those are also different areas to uh, consider. So, but um, one area I definitely want to highlight for my audience is um, think in terms of what does success look to you? If you cannot define that, you cannot define ROI, and sometimes it's not even worth the investment because you yourself don't know what success looks like, then why are you doing this project investing so much of money? So. Mm -hmm. Actually, that that's really good because someplace else in one of your chapters, you talk about um, many data projects fail or they don't live up to mm -hmm. expectations. Is that is that really the key reason why? Because people don't uh, define success beforehand. Correct, uh, because they don't define success um, beforehand. And also, there is no alignment. That's another problem. I mean, two parties are thinking different ways of success, mm -hmm. right? People who are building are thinking, oh, this is successful as long as I can get this done. Somebody else is thinking, because this will be implemented, I can get this X, Y, Z in their mind that is going to happen. And those two parties are not aligned. So mm -hmm. both the reasons, either you didn't even define what success looks to you for the organization, or people are not aligned of what success looks to them. So that's mm -hmm. why it's so critical to identify uh, what success means and also the metrics I'm going to measure because and mm -hmm. also it could uh, it's not one uh, done in one step forever right it's more like uh, you can even set like okay well after my launch in the first three months I want to be here and maybe I'll reevaluate and maybe in one year from there I want to be here so it mm -hmm. could be a progressive iterative way also but many times that is definitely missing. And yeah. that's why I talk about why data <laughs> projects fail many times. Yeah. And, and another thing you talk about when in successful projects, you talk about you make data into a story. I really liked that chapter. Could you just say a couple of minutes about uh, how you can make data into a story? Sure. Um, I... I really like data as a story, data storytelling, because we as people always relate to stories, right? The numbers by themselves don't mean much, uh, but when it is kind of uh, spoken in terms of like the impact it would create or um, how much of cost savings I have because of it or how what is the what is in there for me? If we talk in that terms, then only people connect to it. It's it's more emotional. It's more connection to it. So that's why 
telling data as a story because I have sat in and I definitely mentioned that in my book like I have sat in a lot of presentations which are really really like everybody can connect to it or relate to it like boring presentations right (laughs) not trying to mock anybody but what happens is there is so much content and sometimes in a visual you're thinking which side should I look there are numbers everywhere I see so I I don't know whether I should look on the left side or the right (laughs) side of the numbers and what should I make out of it because telling somebody oh this is going to be this big number doesn't mean much to most people and if you have a full slide of like 14 different numbers it doesn't stick to me right so i would say that numbers stick to our minds only when it is relatable that's how we are built and that's why um i do mention in my book about like storytelling from even at a very young age even when you're really in elementary school age as a toddler too We start with stories, which we still remember to date. Mm -hmm. But do we remember a math problem we solved? Uh, Maybe not. So (laughs) that's the reason. (laughs) No, I I really like that. I think that resonated with me quite a bit. Um, We're getting towards the end of the show, but I have to bring up the last question because you said it as one of the challenging things, you know changing rules around privacy. I mean, in the U.S., you have 50 privacy rules, okay? Europe, Europe, we only have one, GDPR, okay? Uh, But that one's getting little little sons and daughters all the time, okay? You know? Yeah, all the time. All the time, yeah. So, I mean, how as leaders do we keep up with this? And Um, why is it important we do, Okay. Yeah, totally. Uh, Because that's definitely an area because I do talk about like how data governance and literacy impact each other too. Governance is a topic many people in their mind, it's more like, it's like a rule book. Uh, Many people think of data governance as something like, oh, I don't want to give access to somebody, so I have this rule book. So don't have that mindset when you're implementing a data governance in your organization, it should be more of like not to deny access rather than keep us protected. So that Mm -hmm. mindset has to change. Uh, I do talk about like, yeah, keeping up with all these rules. There is no easy answer. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to say like, oh, it's very easy because (laughs) I do this one step. It's not. Uh, But that is why you should or every company should have some kind of data governance built in. And also I do mention about automating some of the aspects because what happens is whatever areas you can automate in governance, it is very important that that is automated because if you start doing everything manually i mean governance will be out of sync you don't want to spend so much of time governing something which will anyway change in three months right Right. so pick and choose what things you can automate and it could be trigger driven so that it kind of helps with that like the resources you have in governance can really keep an eye of the changing rules and try to bring more creative ways of solving rather than doing all the manual tasks so you're kind of freeing up their time by automating some aspects so that that resource capacity can be put into the areas which matter the most. Yeah, I think that's a great tip to automate it. So um, we're kind of at getting towards the end of the show now, uh, Sangeeta, and um, great book, great information. We have a lot of leaders listening. So um, if you had a word of advice for you know us as leaders out here to kind of you know, be more comfortable and 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 maneuver our way through this new data world. Do you have one word of advice for us? Yes, uh, that one word of advice or one sentence of advice would be, in my mind, um, differentiate between uh, data failures which are really impactful uh, versus data failures which are okay. Because I think most people learn by making some mistakes. So. That uh, line is sometimes very blurry to many people, and that's why it becomes very challenging for uh, data adoption, data enablement, because people have the fear of failing. So kind of distinguish those two as an organization so that some failures are okay, some failures, oh, we are going to be sued for this. Have the distinction. Many times that doesn't exist. All failures are treated like failures. So that shouldn't be the case is my word of advice so that people can enjoy in their data journey as well. Mm-hmm. I, that, that's a great 
thing because we learn from our failures too. And, you know, um, there are big ones and little ones. And I think that's a great word of advice for our, for our leaders. So Sankey, it has been absolutely fantastic. The book is fantastic for our, um, for our listeners. Um, Sangeeta Krishnan is the author of Thriving in a Data World. And this book is available on Amazon, so you can get this on Amazon. It's a great read, um, very practical, very very simply put. The questions that some of us as leaders always have in our head are answered very well in your book, Sangeeta. So thank you for doing this. Thanks a lot for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yes, so did I. And um, for our listeners, you know, Sangeeta is also a public speaker, a content creator. She has published articles in industry journals, and she was recognized also as the finalist of Women in IT Awards in 2018 and in the Data Leader of the Year category. And um, another thing, Sangeeta, great inspiration for all the young women coming out of university now in this field. Um, it's always great to have a, a, a great role model in IT and data. So thank you for being that also. Thanks a lot for such a <laughs> nice <laughs> summary of my profile. <laughs> and um, if you'd like to reach out to Sangeeta, you can reach out to Sangeeta on LinkedIn. And she's under Sangeeta uh, Krishnan, and that's K-R-I-S-N. H-N-A-N, and she'd love to hear from you. Um, this series is also brought to you by Cinda, and Cinda is one of Europe's largest nonprofit digital marketing associations, and they hold uh, trainings, conferences, they do market research, a lot of legislative white papers on digital and data, and they also have online learning series on Thursdays at 1700, and they also have conferences, and their next conference is being held October 22nd to 25th in Porto, Portugal, and they also have a a very interesting e-learning platform for founders and entrepreneurs, so if you're a founder and entrepreneur, Um, This e-learning platform is uh, no cost for you, and it will bring you from idea to exit to the steps of a startup, and you can access it under www.cinda.org under Cinda for Startups. So please go to www.cinda.org to Cinda for Startups and access that platform. And we've, you've been listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. We are live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. And if you miss us, don't worry. We are on every major podcast platform. Just put in Leadership Beyond Borders and you'll find us on the net. And with that, once again, thank you to our guest today, Sangeeta. And thank you to our listeners. And please tune in to us again next week. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.